This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Is technology making history? Or is history making technology? Adam and I are about to duke it out. This is Device and Virtue. Welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue at the intersection of technology and faith. I'm Chris. Here Hi, Chris. With Adam. Hey, Adam. How's it going? I'm well. How are you? Good, man. Uh, happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah. My birthday was, what, last week? Yeah, you got older. I keep... It just keeps happening. And, uh, you know, this year was a good year, though. It yeah. was pretty chill. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about it a lot, though, also. The birthday or the year? Yeah, uh, the 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 number. Yeah, well, do you want to nope, talk to us about that yeah, number? I don't want to talk about the number. <laughs> so here, uh, here's the question I have for you. You know, you <laughs> one of you and I's favorite technology uh, quotes is uh, Alan Kay's quote that technology oh, yeah. was anything invented after you were born. Yeah, which is like a birthday technology. Quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as you get older, it's just you know, I think just appearing like more and more technologies to you, the kids. Yeah, they're using the gram. Oh man. It's true. I mean, for me, like the technology that I remember kind of being brand new was Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that right. that was like my 80s experience. Oh, dude, you're going to date yourself on this. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like these days, like, oh, man, I don't know. Everything still feels. Yeah. I mean, my nephew plays Fortnite online with all his friends. I, do, I seriously don't know what it is. I mean, I've heard of it. Really? I've read about oh, it. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's it's fascinating. I yeah, Fortnite is fascinating because it's socializing boys in a way that it's not socializing girls, broadly speaking. Fascinating. And I think over time, what's what's that do for male bonding that it's not doing for for female bonding? You know, how are these so kids men getting are socialized? Turn out to be the social ones, and women are going to turn out not to be the social ones. Who knows, man? Ooh, big everything <laughs> everything could change. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what we're talking about. It's true. So the question is, does technology control history or does history control tech? And I am here today, Adam, <laughs> to convince you that technology controls history. All right. And I'm, I'm going to try and convince you that history is controlling technology, that, that people, that society controls mm, technology mm, and it's mm. not the other way around yeah you're just re- i'm sorry you're gonna be wrong <laughs> this one it's really um uh, so what i mean so we're talking about this idea of uh there's different words around this technological determinism well big word yeah i know and we're gonna and we'll, we'll come up with these other words too like social construction of technology all these technical terms but let me just tell you some examples of why i think that technology controls history here's what i mean i mean that that yeah. technology has played a leading role in the history of the world a leading role a leading, a role, leading role the okay. leading role in the history the of the world oh, okay. possibly the most important and here's uh, that has sort of shaped every big thing you learned in history class came about because of a key technology. All right. 
Hit me. So I'll start with uh, the wheel. Like the like, technology, like the wagon the wheel? wheel. Yeah, the wheel, the round thing, right? The you round know, thing. Like, yeah, it moves. We're, so, 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 like, don't reinvent the wheel. That so, wheel. So, so, yeah, yeah. We'll okay. Do, yeah. So, which we do a lot. But the so, <laughs> if we start with the technology, I want to talk about what it. The wheel revolutionized, you know, transportation. <laughs> revolutionized. Yeah. Oh, see, mm. revolution. It, well, it goes around. Oh man. I don't think even our listeners got that revolving. <laughs> uh, the wheel revolutionized transportation, of course, but also warfare. We have chariots. Uh, okay. Also, agriculture. Uh, we have, you know, farm things that I, um, implements. They I call them a, farm implements. Okay, I use an have you ever been on a farm? Nope. And uh, <laughs> once in college. <laughs> <laughs> once in college. Oh but word. so, and we think about technology, we get that, right? We get that a wheel might sort of like really affect how we trans- do transportation. But do we think about how transportation leads to roads and how roads lead to, like, say, the Roman Empire? Well, all all roads lead to the Roman and they, and Empire, we, we, and we learned that. Does a wheel actually lead to the construction of empires in the history of the world? Example number two. Okay, so you're sa- you're drawing a straight line from the wheel to the Roman Empire or the American Empire, for instance. Or here's another one: the printing press. This is sort of a classic. Actually, let me go older. I'll go back to the printing press. The printing press is a classic one, but even okay. older. Um, well, I guess they're somewhat at the same time. The magnet. The magnet, like... As a technology, like a magnet. Okay. But the magnet... Like north and south poles. Helps create the compass. The compass, okay. Like when we discover, you know, lodestones and where are you, these things. Where are you going with the compass? The compass... <laughs> it redoes navigation. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the where are you going. <laughs> and so, Whoa. and the, the navigation, of course, is what allows a certain sailor to sail from Spain to try to go discover India, which, of course, becomes... Amerigo Vespucci. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. And then followed by Christopher Columbus. And it leads to colonialism and subjugation and global trade in America. And so, um, right, Wait, and so the, all things lead to America is what you're saying. We've said that the road leads to the American empire <laughs> and so does the compass. The magnet certainly did. Uh, so here's another, here's another classic example. So are you, are you seeing how these technologies pop up in history and then lead to these crushingly huge things? You just <laughs> think that the, Ameri- the, the founders signed the Constitution in 1776 yeah, no, no. I mean, God gave them the Constitution <laughs> okay. and they signed it. Well, a little bit too much sarcasm there. But the, uh, but the, okay, so the printing press, and this one's really famous, and I know you and I have talked about this before. Yes. The printing press. Your favorite, Elizabeth Eisenstein. Liz- dang it, you took the Oh, name I'm sorry, right I'm sorry. Enough. I'm sorry, I didn't mean <laughs> to. She's my favorite. She's a, the scholar that wrote literally a two-volume book, Hardbound, on my shelf, thank you, uh, nice. uh, about how the printing press sort of shaped everything. You know, of course, the printing press, there's, there's original block printing that the Chinese invented, but Gutenberg in Europe visit, uh, comes up with a movable type press where you can right, put letters right. in a row. And, you know, that reshapes literature, of course, and books, but that reshapes how we get information. Before you do the printing press, books are so difficult to copy and so heavy, they're de- you know, monasteries, that uh, the quote was that, uh, you went to knowledge instead of knowledge coming to you, right? So, yeah. and I'm, I like that you're nodding at me. You're like, you knew what no, I was going to say. it's good. It's good. <laughs> I did. Because there was, there was, you know, the books were so huge. You couldn't, a scholar was literally a traveler. Yeah, yeah you went to college, like literally to learn things. <laughs> and went from and now you just go to college and not the, to learn now things. Now it came to you. And so what does the printing press create in history, back to the history book, 
I'm going to say, and Elizabeth Eisenstein says, and other scholars, that the printing press actually created the Protestant Reformation. And Which the entire led to America. <laughs> <laughs> You're on this thing. Okay. But, I mean, it created the entire Protestant Reformation. I mean, Luther nails his theses, and then he prints these, uh, you know, winds up... These uh, tracts, basically, these, right? They get reprinted and distributed. But he winds up writing... There's a letter where Luther writes to the Pope and says... I'm sorry, Your Eminence or Grace or I don't. <laughs> I'm even sorry. Know what, Did he I, really know, apologize? You no, know, I'm not really quoting so well. <laughs> but 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 he sort of says I actually had no idea it would spread this fast, and the printing press did this. So the printing press made it possible. The printing well, the printing press made it possible, or did it actually sort of set into motion a chain of events that's so dramatic and so profound that history actually plays a leading role in events. Am I convincing you? Have I convinced you? I think I think you have compelling stories. I want I will uh, uh, so we can talk more about it. Let me just I have someone behind me that's pretty famous. Someone behind you? <laughs> oh, got <laughs> not, it. Okay. Not, like support supporting you. I'm just saying um so Francis Bacon uh, writes this in the in both. You can't you can't just pull out bacon. Like everyone <laughs> likes bacon. <laughs> this is him quoted uh, quoted by Neil Postman, but he says it is well to observe the force and effect and the consequence of discoveries technologies. Right, these are seen nowhere more conspicuously than in those three. He named three technologies that were unknown to the ancients, namely printing, gunpowder, and the magnet. See, I just pulled two. Of oh those yeah, so you're you're totally yeah. just. Okay. For these three have changed the whole face and state of things throughout the world. The first in literature, the second in warfare, and the third in navigation. Whence have followed innumerable changes, and this is the important part, insomuch that no empire, no sect, no star seems to have exerted greater power and influence in human affairs than these changes. Francis Bacon. <laughs> Dropping and this the is the mic drop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think Thud. tech controls history, Mr. Adam Graver. I mean, yeah, I think I think again, these are these are compelling examples, but behind each of these devices is a person or like a group of people. I mean, it wasn't like one person Maybe one person invented the wheel. I doubt it. But like people got together and over time developed these things, right? So, you know, whether it's the printing press, I mean, we don't just call it the printing press, we call it Gutenberg's printing press. Sure. So, like behind every one of these devices is a person, a group of people who either intentionally work together or work together over history over the course of history and actually shaped these things into what they became. Okay. I, I think I think you can't you can't just say that technology is shaping history um, without also saying that that history that people that societies are shaping their technologies as well. So here, I'll give you a few examples. Okay. Yeah, let's let's hear some examples. Samurais in Japan. Is that the plural of samurai? Uh, I don't know, actually. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> uh, it's probably the American plural, but I would guess 
the actually that like samurai is. You know, I grew up in Japan and I really don't know, but it sounds like samurai. Is, I yeah, know, yeah, yeah, I could see samurai just being the plural of samur. I don't know. <laughs> okay, but okay, samurai. Okay, go. But so like, samurais were famous for having swords, right? And the sure. the, the swords for the Japanese were. I mean, it was, it was like. This is overstating it, but it was like the nuclear bomb of its day. It was the most powerful weapon anyone had. Yeah, sure. Um, and and yet, the the ways that they used those swords were restricted by a code of conduct that the samurai sort of adhered to. Like a, the concept of honor was a huge one, and and if they misused those swords. Um, I mean, they got them taken away, or they got their lives taken as hmm. a result. I think. Right. Or you had to like commit harikari, or that's totally not what it is. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? Har- harakiri. <laughs> yeah, something similar to that. So wait, oh, but okay, but I think a better example. But you were just telling me like culture, samurai had the I, sword, but the culture sort of they they limited its use. Um, And, and I mean, there's even uh, a story about the, the gun being introduced into Japan. Okay. And there was a point at which, um, you know, the gun was being used in Japan, but then they actually basically outlawed it and it was no longer in use. It like, it basically went obsolete. It went extinct in the Japanese culture. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Does that sound suspect? I don't know. I just, yeah. It, it feels like the gun would overtake everything. You, exactly. You would think so. Like the concept of the power that you can have. Right. And and that's where I would go with the, this whole idea. It's like guns don't kill people. People kill people. <laughs> and it, so it's... it's Okay. Classic. Classic, classic. right? Right. It, but it's like this idea that people are in control of the technology that they're using. They decide if they're using them and they decide how they're using them, when they're using them. Another great example, and a bit of an anomaly, is the Amish. And I think the Amish are a super fascinating example because they, they have a reputation for being sort of Furniture. very anti-technology. Yeah, right. But that's actually not the case. Okay. So up until the early 20th century, they were actually some of the early adopters uh, among their neighbors. They they were likely to Early adopters of, you know, horses or... Tech, or yeah, right. Yeah. Wheels, maybe. <laughs> the printing press. I don't know. Yeah. It was only invented 2,000 years earlier. Yeah, like, exactly. Probably longer. Um, but... You know, today we see them. They're not using. Uh, they they use cars in a very limited way. They they will mm. use cars, but they won't own them. They oh. uh, they're not connected to the uh, electric grid, but they do have ways of generating electricity. Whether it's a generator or kerosene or batteries, they're they're open to those sorts of uses. They sort of use a telephone, but typically they actually have what are essentially telephone booths like that are that are communal telephones like party lines yeah basically <laughs> and so you know that they they definitely 
toe the party line. No, oh, oh, I see. I guess. I see. But, <laughs> but, but, but puns I know there's a lot of puns tonight. I'm sorry. Um, they're probably mostly my fault. Yeah, well, they always are your fault, actually. <laughs> but like you're just saying that. I mean, okay, so Amish or samurai. I mean, what's the point? I mean, you're saying that the Pure, technology purity. doesn't control these people. P- purity huh? is the point. <laughs> Pure, purity. Yeah. No. I mean, they they have the opportunity to like take advantage of all the benefits that these technologies are providing them, and they choose not to. Hmm. And they, as a community, as a culture, as a society, actually shape how those technologies are a part or not a part of their communities. I mean, that to me says that they're the ones in control, that they're the ones managing these devices, and it's not they're not getting managed by them. So you had bacon to support and back you up. <laughs> yeah, true. But I have a story to back me up. Okay. Yeah. But it's actually not my story. It's yours. So I mm-hmm. seem to recall last summer you went to Israel. I did. But you it was really cool. You had trouble getting an Uber, right? <laughs> Maybe. So I think you need to share with us this this story because i think this will seal the deal oh yeah well yeah because i was there for you know in jerusalem man visiting the holy land visiting galilee all the amazing places where jesus walked that stuff was stunning but yeah i was with a friend um and you ended up walking too apparently because (laughs) you couldn't get the uber yeah uh you're right it was like i was with a friend on like it was like the eighth or ninth day we were there and we had learned that we could take the train from one part of jerusalem to the what they call the old city, the you know where the some of the more historic places are. So we were staying in this other hotel. So we had taken the train to the old city, and I think we had seen something, and then we had gotten some dinner, and then we were just going to take the train back. So what day was this? That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Turned out it was Friday night. Okay. Which is and the sun sh- goes down, which right? is Sabbath. Yeah. Which, uh, you know Shabbat, you know, or whatever. Uh, I mean, it was Sabbath. So in Israel, which we sort of understood but did not fully understand, (laughs) everything shuts down. All technology in the city gets turned off by like law or something. So the train just, we're like, we're we're getting ready to wait for a train and there's no train. Like we waited, they came every 10 minutes. We waited at the stop for like... They they didn't shut down the roads though. The roads still existed, right? So that (laughs) technology was still there. The roads were there, but we were starting to notice like we're standing at this train stop by the old... By, by the Jaffa Gate, if anyone's been in Jerusalem, there's a train stop nearby. And we're standing there, we're waiting for the train, which is supposed to be every 10 minutes, and there's not a train. There's really? not a train. There's not a train. And then you're starting to notice around the roads, like, there are, there's actually not many cars. Like, this is a packed road, and, like, there's a few cars going by, but there were, and we're, like, realizing, Those like, are the sinners. And we're not, <laughs> and we're not that dumb. We start realizing, oh, it's Sabbath, <laughs> but how the heck are we going to get home? home and and, and 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 so like i'm like that's fine we'll just like grab a taxi or an uber and i pull out the uber app and it has a warning on it saying it's no it's kidding yeah. um, that's incredible uh and we actually did what i think we had to use a different taxi app and we were able to get like so a, so a non-jewish a non-jewish driver came like a, a muslim driver came and picked us up 
Um, and so we did get home. But, oh, so I see what you're doing here. You're just pointing out that the entire country yeah. of Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, like, technology can be managed by a, a society mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. chooses to do so. Mm-hmm. The Amish are a society that choose to do so. The samurai lived in a society that chose to do so. So I think this is, so does, you know, tech control history or does history and society control tech? You have some points. You have some interesting examples. <laughs> I have some points. <laughs> interesting examples. Um, I have a problem with a little bit of your reasoning. Okay. Here's at least one, and you can you well. You know what we should do is we first should first explain that scholars, you and I are both sort of going with two strong right. opinions here, and there is a sort of a yeah. spectrum of thought on this, right? You're kind of on the far one end. I'm kind of on the far other. Right. So, like, if we do, we're going to draw a straight line across a whiteboard, and one end would put technological determinism, right, which is the thing that says what I was arguing for. So, it's the tech has a leading role in human events. On the very other side, we'd put something uh, that's called like essentially SCOT. Yeah, right? like the social <laughs> the construction of technology. Social yeah. construction of technology. Yeah, and and it's this idea that society is constructing the world within which they use the technology, and they're determining how the technology is deployed, employed in in that context for themselves. Yeah, and on one side and and then there's two, a couple of mediating positions, you know, and in the middle of the line we could draw other things. There's a social shaping of technology which is some sociologists that yeah. don't go quite as far to the one side that say yeah, you can totally control it. Yeah, they're saying more like um well, it's actually uh kind of a, a back and forth between society and and technology and they're sort of negotiating a truce kind of a peaceful way right, forward a right, little bit. Right, right. Uh, and, I, and I think of Heidi Campbell with that stuff, um, a professor that actually writes on how like society, religions, you know, mm-hmm. um, negotiate society. She actually has that really interesting example I was talking about with you about um, cell phones. Also the Jewish example, yeah. like cell phones, kosher cell phones that are used by Orthodox Jews that yeah. have certain features disabled. Yeah, they, and they've, yeah. they've actually like worked with Motorola right. to... Yeah. to to, yeah, and and Motorola's kind of come and said, "Yeah, we we'll work with you." There actually is a kosher cell phone that Motorola to, to makes. create this cell phone that is kosher right. that you know fits into their like that that very much is a society shaping the technology that they're sure, using, sure. and I think shaping shaping in return their own their own society. Okay, but here's a uh, well, uh, uh, here, but here's the problem. I think the examples that you're bringing up, and like, for instance, that one, you know, like I mentioned, that Professor Heidi Campbell writes about, she and others write about these groups that have come up, like the Amish, like you brought up, yeah, the yeah, samurai yeah. in Japan, that are controlling their technology. But I want to say that these are very sort of unique groups, that they have sort of this ability to control their affairs and make decisions because they're either a small enough group to or their position in history was such that they sort of all sort of had a very similar thing going on together. And so yeah. they did have a unique ability. It, it, it's, a fair, it. it's a fairly closed system. Yeah, these are all sort and, of small, and, closed and, systems. And probably somewhat hierarchical in their sort of approach where there's, there's a clear, or at least not necessarily yeah, hierarchical, yeah. but there's a clear uh, order of authority uh, within that that community, within that group, yeah, either through like you know a king or like the, just the culture really has a really strong, yeah. So I think like my examples that I have, like the printing press, you know, like are these sweeping, yeah, examples. I think these are the bigger stories. These other stories that 
like a sociologist, like that are more on these quote unquote social shaping views, mm-hmm. um, society controls. Like they they zoom in on a little society or a neighborhood or a culture, and they think and they notice the way that that culture is controlling the technology. And I think, yeah, sure, in a in a certain case in the corner of the world. A society can do that, but if you zoom out and you like Google Earth, like back up to you see the whole globe, right? Uh-huh. And in like the historians and the cultural historians or the people that look at sweeping five hundred block year blocks of history, I think we say, "Wow, we saw a big technology. It had a major impact on the world, and the things we're reaping the consequences." And we see huge. Our history books are actually written about them. I mean, we're writing history books about Amish too, right? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe and, not. And, I mean, and, so there is a, there is an example of like the minority versus the majority and how that works. Like, does do these smaller cultures actually yeah. influence the bigger wide culture? Yeah, I can see I, that. I mean, I I do I do see these alternative cultures as demonstrating other ways of of engaging of living with technology that isn't the predominant one sure right um that isn't the majority way of you know me and my devices i get to decide how they're going to be but as a society we're all just sort of carried along i mean let me let me let me put it this way what if we thought You're about holding up your finger at me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a pretty aggressive that's finger hold. That's because this is this is a new idea that's just come into my head, <laughs> and these are my favorite ones because they they're always <laughs> out of left field for you. Let's go. What if we thought about Apple, the company, your favorite, the hierarchical choice. corporation, mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. that is Apple? Mm-hmm. What if we thought about them as the same way we think about the Amish. So, what what if we looked at them and said, okay, they they have a clear hierarchy, they have a clear set of values around technology, and they're taking those values and they're doing something with those values. They're dev- and they're they're creating devices and then they're sending those out into the world and saying and inviting people into their community. Like, couldn't we say, I mean, the Amish aren't doing that. The Amish aren't evangelistic like that, but they could be. That They could say, this is our way of looking at technology. This is our way of seeing the world. And we invite you to come and adapt and adopt our way of living with technology. So is this Apple's a, doing the same thing. It's just on the other side. So do you think this is, is that an example, I think, is of tech controlling society or society controlling tech? Yes, I think is really the answer. But I, I mean, I think I think it represents to stay on your side. I think it represents. I think it represents the ways that individuals are are gathering together around a shared set of values, and then they're taking those values. They're essentially creating a device around it. Yeah, and you're sort of getting into the smart. I mean, you're getting. I mean, we were when we were talking through all these historical examples. You know, the, we were asking, like, right. what does the smartphone do, right? In history, if we zoom out 300 years from now, yeah, is the smartphone a technology that we've, right now we know it revolution, just like the wheel revolutionized transportation, we know that. We know the smartphone has revolutionized communication or knowledge access. Yeah. But what will it, will it lead to a historic, uh, a shape of history? 
And I and you're sort of saying I mean, well, we Apple all... is the one that's shaping those values, or could you know maybe instead of thinking about a society, think about Apple as a company that could shape those values. I'm going to say that I think Apple actually has might be trying to shape that value, and certainly they're trying to make a profit and do other things. Yeah. But I actually think they have no ability to know what it's doing. The smartphone as a technology itself will be such an overwhelming shaper of everything, how we live, what we value, mm-hmm. and who we are, that Apple will lose control of that too. Okay, so you're, you're saying then that the, the device itself is has a set of values no no or no, no, it, no not it, the device itself too wrong like like it's the <laughs> too wrong <laughs> you're too wrong so wrong you're not just wrong you're just too really wrong, wrong. No, you could like, be a little wrong <laughs> it's no it's like the uh, no the the it's not of course one smartphone and by the way that's a big thing we should talk about right like it's are we saying that any uh, some individual might be sitting around yeah. thinking like what are you talking about I can use. I choose to install yeah. an app or not, and choose to up. Like your case in point, you I like, can turn the phone face down. I can turn it off. I can shut. You overmanage your stupid thing, right? So, so like, I mean, you're like, the, oh, I totally do that. But what we're I'm, say- I'm in control here. <laughs> I have control issues with <laughs> Until myself. Until I try when to I demo it. you and make you reinstall that app. But <laughs> the, uh, but the, like. If we're, what we're really not saying, right, is individual stuff. We're taking. We're saying this much right. bigger picture because. I think both you and I agree. In any case, an individual could resist the cultural flow, at least I think for a while. I don't think they're going to be that successful, to be honest. (laughs) But of course, an individual can make choices in this. But we're talking about what are the shaping narratives. I just don't think this. I think it's kind of a macroscopic view, is what you're saying. We're not. We're not looking at the micro. It's not the, the individual. We're looking at the social, the societal, the the national, the international. Yeah, but I think this. I think the smartphone does run away with us. I think it it's not a shapeable. I mean, I I'll agree with you that Apple doesn't know the consequences that it's it's imposing on society. I I agree with that, but they are they're they're still driven by a set of values around technology. And they're trying to drive those values into society through that device. Okay, so I think the big question for you and me is really if how does the church or the Christian community fit into all of this? And if technology shapes history... <laughs> is the church just sort of swept up into that and can't do anything? Or from from the other point of view, uh, does the church become something that can control and shape technology? You always have to bring faith into this, don't you? I, this is the virtue part of that's our... The, that's the podcast we do. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. I think that this is a great opportunity for the church. Um, I think these examples that we have of the Amish, of the Orthodox Jewish community, of the samurai culture, reflect ways that the church can actually live in their society in a way that is not counter to society, but alongside society and can be intentional about the ways that they are integrating technology into 
their their church culture. The question I asked myself was, is there anything more powerful than technology to shape a society? And to me, the yeah, it's a church board. It's a church board. <laughs> the elder board. <laughs> no, right. no. Oh, okay. I know what you're. I I, I know what you're about to say. Yeah. But I'm just. I want to be a little bit contrarian for a hot second, because like, great. The church could learn from the Amish on how to do it. But always, I mean. Come on. I mean, if it, if there's something new on Instagram and if it's a young person church, they're going to figure out how to have done it yesterday. Yeah. And if they're a white hair church, they don't know what Instagram is. You know, but the <laughs> like the the I don't know if churches are defining. I think they're being swept along with technology to be honest. I mean, maybe there's an opportunity for a social community to shape the technology yeah. and the church to be that, but I don't see it. I think it's a question of uh on what level is the church going to affect the culture that they're in? Um, I mean, you brought up the Catholic, we were talking about the Catholic church earlier and they still have, I mean, their contraception is a technology and they've yeah. held a long held belief on yeah. that, right? Yeah, evangelicals, which we both sort of identify with to some degree. Um, At least in the, like, the not modern sense of the term, <laughs> but yes. There's very much a, a desire to like influence culture and shape culture. At a, on a broad scale and i think i i think what i'm advocating for is kind of letting some of that go and thinking more about what is our community doing hmm. how is our community living together in a way that we believe reflects the values of the gospel the values of the kingdom and i think that's what the amish have chosen to do in their own way they've said this is what we think our community needs to look like. And we're not really imposing our values on anyone else, but we we stand as an example of another way of living. And so that sort of, that go, goes back to this question that I'm, I was asking myself is, is there anything more powerful than technology to shape a society, to, to shape a people? And to me, the answer is a story. I think I right. think a, a story, hmm. and, and so when I thought about this, I thought about two different examples. One is uh, Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. It's it reflects uh, a story that said, "Here's a system, and here's a, here's uh, a way of living that we don't believe in." And rather, I have a dream. Yeah, you know, he and, and he's casting he's change. casting a vision for a different story. Right. Climate change is trying to tell a story about the way technology is shaping the world and saying we need to have a different way of looking at the world and we need to approach our, our world differently, approach our technology differently, blah, blah, blah. And I think that to me is representative of what the church can do because the gospel is a story. And it's telling us, it's giving us a vision of the way the world could be. Like the true story that actually shapes, you're saying it shapes bigger than anything else. I think I think the the vision, the the way that the story calls us to something different, has a greater power. And I think technology, I think Apple's trying to tell a story with technology, and they're trying to cast a vision as well. And we can decide whether we want to accept that story and follow that vision, or whether there's another story that we want to follow instead. Seriously, uh, two big sides. I think it'd be real interesting to hear where people think they land. So yeah. um, 
uh, we'll put stuff online and let people chatter back at us on where they land on how if they're a technological determinist or if they're a social shaper of technology or if they're somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, when we're, we're looking for that, I've got something for you, and it's called vice or virtue. <laughs> And my vice or virtue today is just because we've used a lot of examples, <laughs> uh, history class. <laughs> history class. Vice or virtue. <laughs> um, hi- history class reminds me of seventh grade Mr. Bione, who wow, you know the teacher. who wanted us to remember his name by telling us, uh, you know, when you buy something, then you own it. <laughs> So that's how we remember, well, no, remembered his name. And apparently name. he was like a he was in the textile industry before he became a teacher. So um but I, I always love social studies and uh I remember Mr. Bion. I don't know what he's doing today. So hey man, if you're listening, here I am talking about history. <laughs> you're welcome. So I'll I'll give it a virtue. <laughs> virtue. Oh man. What about you? Uh I remember taking I always sort of liked history, but I remember taking AP history class like oh, my junior man. year of high school and I quit after 7th grade. I don't remember my teacher's name. Um but she was what <laughs> she was she was cranky. She was cranky as all. And you on those AP history class tests you had to write like I don't know the 5 point essay where you just sort of said mm. this happened, this happened, this Ugh. happened, this was the result. And I'm always thinking no, it's much more complicated than that. <laughs> uh, and so I was always really frustrated with history I don't class. Know, you, you had it pretty clear tonight. <laughs> this like, happened, this, has, this happened, therefore. <laughs> Whatever. I'm a comprehensive thinker, Adam. So anyway, history <laughs> class was a vice. Oh, wow. Oh, man. <laughs> Two it, in the it, box. <laughs> yeah, typical. You, you just want to disagree with me. Uh, this has been really good. Uh, thanks for bringing abs- the concept. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I think tech will tell... Uh, his tech yeah. will tell whether history happens. No, H- history, history will, will tell. <laughs> tech will, I don't know. Until next time. Only time will tell. That's, I think, <laughs> what you're trying to say. Good to see you, man. You too. Hey, let's keep the conversation going. I think it's an argument. Okay. Tweet to us at Device Virtue. And for links and show notes, check us out at deviceandvirtue.com. And do leave us some love by rating us on iTunes. Yeah, please do. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.